for me, that's real failure compared to actually trying and, and maybe fail a bit. So it's like this compounding effect where you work on one thing, you provide value to the client, but you also learn new stuff that are going to be beneficial for you in the short term, but also in the long term. The way I see it is I'm getting paid to learn stuff. So I think it's hitting the jackpot now. The efficiency of finding the answer is mostly going to be in the way you frame your question. I think there is no reason to be pessimistic because technology is going to happen anyway. Hey there, real quick. If you enjoyed the show, please support by following on your favorite podcast station, review and share it with your peers to help them and me out because I don't run any ads and every share helps. Thanks and let's jump into it. Hey, Max, welcome to the show. Hi, Gabe. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Where are you calling from today? Today I'm calling from Paris, actually. It's my hometown. Even though I enjoy traveling, I'm trying to settle a bit in Paris for a while. That's awesome. Yeah, that's the thing with settling, right? When you travel a lot, that you need that moment when you actually need some time for yourself. Yeah, I think it's much better if you settle a bit in one place, because if we keep moving around, it it starts to become quite tiring, I think. I definitely want to touch on how you manage all these things while traveling. But before that, please tell our listener, who is Max? So um, I started working in 2015 as a consultant at Accenture. It's a big American company. I was in the data science entity. So yeah, I went to the engineering school, the very generalist school, not specialized in any really field, like maybe a bit more computer science, but even that was quite light. Always knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial, but I was not really sure if I was going to start like a unicorn startup or whatever, or freelancing or whatever. And also I didn't feel that I had any really specific skills when finishing my studies. So I thought that consulting is actually quite a good school for life because it's quite demanding. I learned a lot. I was working on different projects every like six months for different clients from very different industries. And also in the meantime, I kept learning about data science, mostly from YouTube. So not really from my engineering school. And yeah, after that, I gained confidence in my skills and in the things that I wanted to do. And from that moment, I knew I was going to work in data, like in, in the kind of data environment, but I never really felt developer or the quote unquote geek that would fall in love with some lines of code or whatever. I've always been coming from a place where I'm interest, interested in data because of being interested of in people and how they behave and like the different businesses that exist, etc. So. Yeah, after a while, I realized that if you're a good engineer, if you build a good product and you have analytics capability, it's good. But if you don't know how to market it, if you don't know how to talk, if you don't know how to speak and to present it, it's also not really ideal. It's spending too much effort in one field. And so I realized that was a bit missing from my kind of set of skills. And so that's why then I work for Havas. So it's like a media agency, a competitor to a publicist that is a, maybe a more known media agency and of course still working in the data aspects. I was an analytics manager there, but it was very interesting because I learned about how to market a product, the different kind of frameworks that exist for marketing, all that as aspects. After that, I realized that maybe now I could actually start becoming a freelancer because I had the technical background, but I also had the more business side marketing knowledge. And so after two years there in this media agency, I decided to start freelancing. Still not sure if I was going to go that route of 
building a startup or just being freelance. But uh, yeah, it was good because I always had that in mind that one day I was going to start doing something more entrepreneurial. But when you start to be in the kind of routine of being in a corporate company and all this other stuff, I think can be yeah quite tricky. I could see, and I have some friends that are like this, that always think, that, yeah, next year I'll start something. But yeah, five years later, they're still in the corporate company. I've been working as a freelancer for a bit more than three years, and I'm slowly trying to productivize my services. So it's going to take a while, but I think I'm more like a kind of, I like to do things slowly, not to go like too fast to keep control. But yeah, that that's where I'm at right now to answer in a very long form your question. Yeah, that's really insightful. And more how you managed to do that transition from the corporate world to the freelancing world. If you can enter in a bit more details, did you plan something ahead? Did you save some money to land a client before jumping full-time into freelancing or you start during your corporate job? I was working in corporate companies, but I think my mind was all the time at entrepreneurial stuff. So I've tried a bunch of stuff that ended up to nothing, <laughs> well, to, to some learnings. So I was like, I don't know, buying some stuff on eBay, like some headphones for cheap, then reselling them at higher price. I was just tinkering around after a while. I also looked at Amazon FBA. It's like this reseller program where you can sell product on Amazon. One of the reasons I started to learn how to code is also because I wanted a way to collect data of products and prices to find like cheaper prices of product to buy them in bulk and then reselling them with a slight margin on, on Amazon, for example. From this Amazon experience, I realized that I was not going to start something entrepreneurial in e-commerce because it's way too much effort. The margins are not great. There's a lot of risk involved because so many things can happen between like shippings and stuff. So it gave me a lot of confidence in at least the things that I did not want to do. What would make the most sense is actually to start as a freelance because I was pretty confident in my skills. I gained confidence in the fact that I could deliver value for clients if they would be hiring me as a freelance. But of course, like we said, when you're in the corporate environment, it's very hard like mentally to get that confidence to move to the next step. What I actually did is I, I started to subscribe to the classic freelancing platforms, Upwork or some other platforms. And I started just to, to work on some small projects to gain a little bit. It was not huge amounts, like definitely something I could live from if I didn't have my jobs, corporate job. And so what happened at some point is I won a project where it was a bit more massive project, more complex than usual, because I kind of actually bullshitted that I knew how to do the job, but I did not know yet at the time. So I learned that on the go on the project. I was lucky that this first client was very patient. I think he would have, he had like many opportunities to just teach me, but I think he saw that I was really eager to learn and to compensate for the time that I should maybe have been a bit quicker in delivering. But yeah, after that, I was still not earning enough to quit my job, but I was actually realizing that, yeah, it was a bigger amount. After that, it starts to slowly yeah, be stronger in my mind that maybe I'm getting closer to, to be ready. Also, yes, I was saving every month a little bit because I'm not a a big spender. I like to spend money on food and travel, but I don't really need the rest. Fancy car, whatever. I'm in Paris. Having a car is not the best idea, I think, <laughs> when you're in Paris. So I managed to save a bit. And also we have the chance that you can negotiate with your employer 
you basically say that you want to leave in a couple of time. And depending on their economic situation, they would just discard your request. But for me, it was a specific situation for them that they actually took my request and we discussed and we both agreed that we would split apart. And the fact that I had the agreement from the company means that I was able to get compensation from the government, like not much, but just enough to get me going. And that's the thing that helped me click and feel that I was not jumping without any security net or anything, because in worst case, I had still a bit of money. And also at some point, I mean, I'm lucky that I still have like my mother. So in, in worst case, even if I didn't have any money or whatever, I could still be sleeping inside her house on the floor or whatever. I think there's, there's always a, a way to be optimistic or at least not like too scared of what can happen. What really helped me is the kind of growing frustration of not trying. And I was a bit frightened about this idea that I could spend maybe 20 years in, or more in, in corporate company thinking next year, I'm going to really going to try to do something and then just don't do anything. So for me, that's real failure compared to actually trying and, and maybe fail a bit, but I don't really think there's really failures. It's just, uh, it sounds like this cliche sentence, right? But I, I really mean it. You try stuff. If it work out good, if it doesn't work, then you try to take a step back and understand why it didn't work out. And then it's this kind of improvement iterative loop. And in the end, it's what makes you progress and win more stuff. When I say win, getting the things that you want more and more. So yeah. Quite a journey. And what I love about that, you're open to opportunities like you did with that client that you simply weren't prepared to work with, but you accept the project and you learn along the way. And Going that route, what challenges did you face? So I would say it's still something that I'm, a challenge that I'm still facing. It's finding the right balance between actually having clients and doing the work and earning money because at some point it's needed. And also, so balance between that and the fact that we now know in this digital age that as a freelance, we need to produce content. It's not mandatory, but we know that if you want to grow, it's highly recommended. And for me, it's getting better now, but it's finding that struggle between producing content, working on stuff that are not going to bring you any revenue or anything, not much on the short term, that in the long term is going to be potentially very beneficial. And so that's like the content creation part. But yeah, balancing that with working for clients, providing value, and so trying to juggle between the, the time of these two things. But I think as a freelancer, if you want to feel good, even if even in, in the present, I highly recommend that you slowly start working on things that are going to be beneficial for you for the long term. You said yes to a project where, because you need the money, but maybe like next time you would like a different project, a bit more interesting. I'm assuming, I'm pretty sure actually that most freelancer, when they start, at least there's some kind of sometimes frustration. It can come from a lot of different places, right? Sometimes it, it's also just because kind of scarcity mindset or like fear of not having enough client. And so they will accept right away a client that is actually maybe not the best fit because of too demanding or like not really clear on his requirements or stuff like this. But yeah, for me, that was the main challenge. Now that I'm starting to slowly delegate stuff, we can talk about this, but it's really helping because I'm still focusing on providing value to my clients, working on projects that are interesting to me, but I also know that this stuff 
that I'm working on are also potentially going to be useful for me on other projects, right? So it's like this compounding effect where you work on one thing, you provide value to the client, but you also learn new stuff that's going to be beneficial for you in the short term, but also in the long term. And how do you find that intersection? I mean, I have a certain project or a certain task. And how do you realize that, oh, this might be helpful for me long-term into various other things? So it's getting much clearer now because I know the direction where I want to go. Now that I have this long-term vision, it's getting much easier because I can see if there's going to be this compounding effect that I was talking about. Because usually most of the needs for a company or startup or freelancer are going to be very similar, right? For example, I've been helping setting up a CRM for a client, right? Which on the surface looks like it has nothing to do with data, right? Like data science. But I was happy to take that topic because I know now that I want to build a company. And so I'll need to use CRM at some point. And instead of me spending time on the weekend or paying someone so that I can, he can teach me how it works and stuff, I can actually be paid for that um, because the way I see it is I'm getting paid to learn stuff. So I think it's hitting the jackpot. No, I would say that what helps is have a long-term vision about the things, the direction where you want to go. For me, solopreneur, that's also another topic we can address, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're solo, like alone. I think there are different kinds of ways you can be solopreneur with a small team, with each person of the team having very specific set of skills. And it's very clear. And it's like a, a small team helping you. Actually, I think that's the kind of model that I'm moving to. Because initially, I think when I was thinking freelancing solopreneur, for me, it was, okay, solo means solo. Right? You're alone and you have to do everything. But I realized that I actually don't want to do everything. There are stuff that if I'm being rational, I shouldn't do. I started a YouTube channel and I started to do video editing by myself, which is fine, right? For me, it was fun for the maybe first three videos, but after a while, it's like, well, it's not my thing. So first I'm way worse than a video editor, right? Obviously. And also it's time that I'm spending on something that I'm not really enjoying that much. And it's taking time from other stuff that I would be enjoying much more and also would potentially bring me even more revenue than just video editing. I can relate to it. Me on my podcast, I started as well editing the podcast and such. And now I'm searching for help because it's really time consuming and still enjoy it, but the high impact task that I want to spend time on it. And you mentioned something when it comes to the difference between freelancers and solopreneurs. And I definitely can put you already in that bucket of solopreneurs because you have a long-term vision. And for me, freelancers are those that are just trading time for money. I was there. I was one. I was trading time for money. I was executing everything. I wasn't outsourcing anything. I was just looking at the next project. But the way to see things, having a long-term plan, having, having that vision that you want to build something, you already start to outsource. You already start to move things into a direction where you can basically move yourself out of working inside a business and actually building a business. And yeah, in my opinion, you're already a solopreneur. And it's one of the reasons why I invited you here, apart from the fact that you're a nomad as well. Please let me know about the outsourcing part. How do you usually go about it? So a bit like everything, I like to start slowly and do it like gradually. Initially, I just hired a virtual assistant to help me on a bunch of tasks that I felt 
could be done efficiently by someone that doesn't necessarily need like a, a PhD or whatever. So first it was just like some kind of test that don't really require any specific skills. And so I started to, to hire yeah, virtual assistant for that. And so that was one thing. And actually it's uh, for me, it was like the real definition of starting to feel rich, not to be rich because bring me much more happiness than if I was given a car or something. It's like this realization that working on only things that you love is probably one of the elements that helps getting towards happiness. So yeah, initially I just started with looking for virtual assistant to help me. So I needed someone that was like a, well, in French would say couteau suisse. It's like a Swiss knife, so someone that can do a bit of different stuff. So he's, he's called Neil, I'll say his name. Even though Neil started as a virtual assistant, I'm very careful that he's uh, also going towards a direction that he wants to go and not just using virtual assistant to do shitty stuff or just boring stuff, but uh, yeah, just making sure that you're also listening to your team. And then I hired a video editor. Well, keep in mind when I say hire, I mostly talk about like freelancing contracts. It's not like a long-term contract where I have a full dedicated team. And I think uh, that's also why freelancing is great. It allows you to keep control of your budget and the things you want to delegate. And so, yeah, recently I, I hired also profile a bit more like me, like more data scientist. He's more backend data engineering side than me, where I'm more like a business data aspect, even though I, I learned the technical stuff because I had to, but uh, yeah, that's like my team at the moment. So. There's still a lot of different uh, profiles that I have in mind, but uh, right now it's fine like this. I like to do it gradually. Everyone's different. I think some people would like just to go break walls and hire a bunch of people. But I realized this model of startup and raising money, at least for now, for me, it's not something that I'm really interested into, but I'm still convinced that you can do very impactful stuff without necessarily going through the VC game and raising funds and stuff. Not everyone needs to change the world. Not everyone needs to build the next unicorn. And I truly believe that smaller projects can literally change lives. And I saw a lot of them raised out of nowhere and being totally bootstrapped and without VC funding and such. And speaking of emerging things and emerging technologies, I know that you're really passionate about AI and generative AI. What do you think will be the impact that we'll have? We're speaking about jobs, about delegating things, about leverage our business in some way. Yeah, it's still something that I'm thinking about a lot because it's so impactful that it's quite hard to grasp the scope and the impact of it. I've been in, in the data science field for many years now, yeah, more than eight years. And so for me, it's surprising to see that people are getting interested by it only now in 2023 because once i understand what it is it's pretty hard not to see the power of it and i think now it got a bit more into kind of mainstream media and and so i think people are at least now they know about it of course there have reasons to be scared about it when you talk about any technology any yeah, new kind of paradigm shift. Like people think about job destruction and all that stuff. But I think if you go back to I don't know, 500 years ago or when they invented the car or whatever, like uh, they were also talking about this kind of job destruction stuff. But because I think 
Also, that's what kind of sells in the media. And also, I think because we are wired to try to protect ourselves and to anticipate the negative aspect of things. But yeah, I, I see it obviously as a very positive thing. I think there is no reason to be pessimistic because technology is going to happen anyway. If it's in one year, two years, 10 years, like there are going to be progress no matter what are your feelings about it. So I would say, you know, don't really, don't try to fight it out and encourage people more to try to understand it. I think it can take a while because it's, it's very complex stuff. But uh, yeah, so the impact, to be honest, I'm still not sure of this because I think it's going to impact many jobs. I was reading this article that was making a list of the top 10, 20 jobs that are like in danger or something like this. But I think we didn't need chat GPT, GPT-4 to know that if you're a translator, your job is at risk because Google Translate has been existing for many years. All these kind of tools has been existing that text to speech is something that exists, speech to text as well. And so it doesn't take too much time to realize that this technology we're going to improve anyway. And so at some point, real time live translation is going to be something real, right? I think it's, it's for, so. The traction of ChatGPT, like all this set of tools released by OpenAI has been very viral, very exponential. It grew very fast. It's obviously very impressive, but yeah, I'm not sure yet on all the impact. What I know is that the reason I'm optimistic about it is because if you're curious, if you really play with it, it will actually deploy like even more your curiosity, your creativity, because yeah, if you're already very curious you want to play around with different toys a new toy on steroids maybe <laughs> and i think it's also helping trying to get closer to the truth because it brings a lot of very interesting debates about there's just so many things like fake news what is because for example chat gpt like all the open ai tool they've been trained on data coming from the web publicly open and all that stuff and so in the end it's like collecting like all the billions of humans' IDs uh, into one black box. And I think it's very interesting because it, it makes a synthesis of the general idea of things. And uh, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily true, but at least now there's like a way to, to see potentially the bias on some topics. And I think, uh, yeah, all of, I see all of the, all of that as a kind of global process to, getting closer to the truth because there are going to be some learnings. There are going to be no denial about the facts and trying to think about the emotions that you're going through when you, you see these things. And I don't really see a tech person feeling yeah, depressed about this. Of course, like there are going to be people like Elon Musk saying that, um, that they are worried and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, I'm just generally optimistic about stuff. I'm sure that some bad things are going to happen as a consequence, but in the long term, I think it's going to be beneficial. And like I said, I think there's just, it doesn't mean anything to like it or not like it. It's just what it is. It's just progress. And you cannot stop ideas. You cannot stop people thinking it's going to happen anyway. So you might as well just embrace it. Adapt or die. And it's quite normal. And yeah, you mentioned the cars and there were other, even the internet when it appeared. That's something that people will, oh my God, oops. and probably it did, but in the same time, it create many others. And Similar apply with AI and any other technology that will arise. And I would like to ask you, 
actually to create a small action by step process for those listening to be prepared to embrace and leverage AI when it will go mainstream and will literally change things. The thing that I see like when I'm scrolling on newsfeed and stuff is of course many people are interested many people are gonna already tinkering with some projects but i've seen impressive stuff but not really practical use cases that are actually going to solve problems i'm sure that they are i'm just saying that for most of what i've seen so far it's going to be people being proud of knowing how to write a prompt to create an image or stuff like this, which is good, right? But I think I would encourage people to actually come from a place of, okay, what kind of problems I could solve? And is there a way to use AI to go even further into solving that problem? Because it can be very easy to go into the rabbit hole of trying all this exciting stuff, writing some description of a photo, and then it creates a photo and stuff. But in the end, if you really want it, you could already go before to some, I don't know, Shutterstock or whatever, like to get an image, just try to build things that people would actually want, like use case, start from a problem. And you can actually get already helped by by this AI too. Like you could go to ChatGPT, and if you start with a problem that you're trying to solve, you could ask that as a question and then it will give you a set of output. And then it's like I was saying, it's like improvement loop, like a feedback loop, right? You give a set of, of inputs to the machine. It gives you a set of outputs. This outputs is, this outputs are data and then data, you reuse it to feed it the machine again. And then that's how you can like slowly starting to get like a bigger picture of how to solve a problem. For example, developers let spend time on, forums or like websites like Stack Overflow, where you can search for how to write specific line of code or stuff like this. They are pretty good at this kind of exercise because in the end, the efficiency of finding the answer is mostly going to be in the way you frame your question. I think if you know how to ask properly the right question, you're probably going to be much efficient at finding the answers, go to the path of solving the problem and actually at the end delivering like real value, real tangible value, because it depends if you want to do that just for entertainment and then the artist. I don't think you need my advice to have some ideas, but use cases at your current job, current work or problems that you're trying to solve. Or if you always spend some time for creativity or I don't know, whatever, you can actually also try to use AI for that, which is a more like playful way to, to use AI. If you're a painter, you could actually use it to get more ideas. They're just, it's very hard to give one specific example because there are just so many ways that, that you can play with it. Great perspective. And instead of fighting it, as you mentioned, to embrace it and just leverage it in a way that you can actually solve real problems. And moving a bit the conversation towards your lifestyle of digital nomad. And I know that now you mentioned that you settle a bit in Paris, but how do you embrace the traveling, the nomadism and how do you went about it? Well, so first of all, I'm not sure if I can call me a real digital nomad because I've traveled quite a lot, but I never really did that, the cliche stuff of, of one week, one country or something like this, because I, yeah, I realized that I, to enjoy like the, the place where I'm in, I need to settle a bit to understand the culture, try the food I like to eat, try to know, yeah, the, the, a bit more the people and stuff. And so I think, especially if in the meantime, you have a client or you have your business to manage, if you stay there a week, I think it's very hard to actually enjoy all of that. I was thinking a lot about traveling very often when I was 
in my corporate job, ironically. And once I had the actually ability to do it, I realized that it was more like a, maybe more like a fantasy. And just the fact that I then, I now was able to actually do it, I think uh, lowered the need to do that. But uh, yeah, so now I think the kind of rhythm that I like is to, so to stay a bit longer. So if you really want to know a country or culture, I think one month is at least a minimum would be, but uh, especially because you can also take some time to, to form like connections, relationships there when you're in a new place, even though, you know, now there's all these digital nomad communities that actually makes things, new connections that happen quite fast because you can connect quite easily now with other nomad digital. And also thanks to people like Peter Levels who created this nomad list that IO stuff with this big community. I don't know who coined the term. That might actually be Peter Levels, but also I'm also a big fan of this concept of slow nomadism because I think maybe it's also because I'm getting older. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I think uh, it's way too short to grasp all the new different stuff that are coming at you. So yeah, now the way I see it is more try to settle down in one, one spot. And also, yeah, for productivity, I think it's much better because if you keep moving around, it's all this time spent in traveling. It's a bit pernicious because you don't really realize that you're maybe wasting time because you're saying, okay, well, I'm going to point A to point B, right? But if you actually sum up all the time that you spend in a train or a plane or whatever, like at the airport, it starts to add up. And yes, you can still be productive and work from your phone. Like for everything, it's about balance, right? There's nothing complex. Everyone knows that you need to be eating like balanced meal. You need to be sleeping like the right amount of hours. And I think it goes the same for traveling if you want to actually enjoy traveling you need to spend some time settling in some place and then actually enjoy the movement of going to a different place then settle at least for me that's how it works i tend to think that's how it works for most people because i never really heard someone say that he enjoys traveling to a new place every three days for example i mean most people that actually are traveling they will mostly say the same thing that at some point it's good to settle down a bit and enjoy the place that you're in. Yeah, definitely agree. And I'm in the same situation and to try to spend as many months as possible in one place. Of course, from there, you enjoy the location, you learn about the culture, you might travel to different regions, but just as part of the travel thing, because if you do the same, when you actually have to focus on work, as you mentioned, it's quite hard to impossible to be able to build something meaningful or actually be productive. And uh, this is misconception when it comes to digital nomads that most people imagine that you are backpackers that travel from country to country every three days and we don't work at all. We just keep our fingers and everything start to move. But in reality, we often work way more than someone that has a full-time job or they are a freelancer, but staying in the same place and enjoying a more stable life. And speaking of settling down and going on this path of slow nomad, did you learn any other things that help you realize that, okay, this is the path that I want to take. This is the thing that it's more fulfilling for me. And how much do you see yourself spending in one place in your current situation, Paris, before moving to the next one? Or how you next, let's say, months looks? It's funny because you were saying that we work much more than average corporate people. And I think definitely it has to be true in the beginning when you're launching and you really want to start to get the ball rolling. 
But actually, I'm actually quite proud to say that I work more or less some hours. And mostly the reason is because of the kind of work I, I can be doing if I'm coding or whatever. Sometimes it can be quite intense, like to focus and stuff. And so personally, after eight, eight hours of work, I'm done. <laughs> yes, I could still be working, but definitely that would not be like the most productive hours of, of the day. So, and again, that's maybe that's different from for everyone. I feel lucky that I'm not even sure if I can say that I'm working anymore. It sounds cliche, but I really like what I'm doing. And I think what I'm doing, I would be doing it on the weekend, even if I was not getting paid or whatever, for example, if I work for a client. So in that sense, I feel very lucky, but it's about just now I'm over 30. So I guess I'm about like balance in everything, balance in health, in sleep, in doing sport, in eating well, in, and also in more, especially on the work stuff, making sure that I don't feel like burnout or anything. And it's not just because I want to feel better or feel like I, I want to have some free and turning entertaining time. It's also because I know that this is the most productive way, at least for me, because you heard the quote, like entrepreneurship is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And it's very true because if you, if you start to go very fast and you start to do too many things at the same time, yeah, maybe you're going to be highly productive for a week or two weeks and you'll be progressing a lot, but I'm pretty sure that at some point you're going to pay it back and it's actually going to slow you down after. And so if you do like the average over a year, I'm pretty sure that you would be much more productive and efficient if you just being keep balance on your day, because then it compounds every day. And I think over an extended period of month, of years, it actually makes a, a difference, right? And you were asking me about my plans for traveling. For now, I know I will travel, but for now, I don't really make plans anymore. I mean, I make plans for the things I want to work on and like my projects. Of course, if you're going to travel with some friends at some point, you need to plan something. But yeah, at the moment, to answer you, like, no, nothing planned. But definitely, I'm going to travel. That's part of my to-do list plan entertainment for the next month because I've been working quite a lot for the past month and now that uh, at least in Paris the nice sunny days are coming I definitely want to take some time to to enjoy it you should do that definitely and you mentioned projects and stuff can you please share to our listeners what projects are you working on and where they can find you online if they want to work with you or to support you in your efforts so the way I see it is that so I have three different stuff. Like I was telling you, I started to think about as a freelance creating content. That's where I started. I thought about, okay, what are the different ways where I could create content? What would be the most impactful? Or Because, you know, you can create a, write a blog or have a podcast like you have and or different stuff. But me, I thought, okay, what is the most impactful way? It's probably a video, right? Because it's taking like the five senses as human being, like the vision, the audio, text, etc. And so that's why I went to YouTube. Basically, I have a YouTube channel named uh, Freemaker. I only have seven videos at the moment, so I really need to be delivering a lot more. But for me, that's more like the creative aspects, educational content, where I just want to unleash my ideas. And if I'm working on some fun stuff from project, or if I have some interesting ideas I want to share, that's like my place where I'm just going to talk about the things that I'm interested in. Of course, it's always more or less going to be related to data because it's my thing. And so that's for like creative side. And then I'm actually starting two different set of companies at the moment. It it sounds like it's maybe too much, but they are actually related because the foundation is always data. One company is called Burning Leads. So you can go to burningleads.io. 
because I'm in data science and also growth hacking. I'm very interested in the psychological aspect of it, automation and web scraping. Web scraping is automating the web to collect data from the web. And so this is one of my favorite topics, I would say. And so I learned a lot on that for the past years and I realized it was actually quite helpful for people because they spend a lot of time trying to collect leads, like this, all this environment of lead generation. And so I realized that with my skills, I could actually build a very useful service for marketing people, sales teams, etc., where they would just have one place where they can go and, and get some leads. So that's one of the two companies. So the way I see it is that burning leads is like collecting data and then like selling data. And then the other one that I'm studying is called ShineBright. You can go to shinebright.ai. And here it's more about analyzing the data, trying to extract insights from the data, maybe building some machine learning model if it's requested, uh, a lot of data visualization, basically like a lot of data crunching to actually understand the data. And we build the custom dashboards for companies. We are now more focused on SMEs, like so small companies, startups. Um, yeah, so that's, those are like my two main projects at the moment. I believe that there is a lot that can be done because people have data, but a lot of people don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to query the data. They don't know how to visualize it in the right way. And so, yeah, that's what ShineBright is for. So yeah, the way I see it is that basically data is going to be the foundation for all of these three aspects. One is like for my more creative side, so the YouTube channel. And the other two, it's more like collecting data. And then the other is analyzing data, if I sum it up in a short way. That's quite powerful to rely on a single thing that you're actually passionate about and you have all the knowledge and to build three different things around it. And on this topic, let's wrap up with 24 hours challenge in which you have to tell our listeners to do something to move them in this direction of choosing to build or choosing to do something that aligns, I don't know, to one of their passion or one of their skills and such. What do you think they are able to achieve in just 24 hours in order to start this journey that you are already on? So I think the first thing to do in that that would take more than 24 hours is just to, to try different stuff. But I'm assuming that most people already at least are trying to make the effort of that. And then in 24 hours, I would say that for me, what was helpful was this line from Peter Thiel, like one of the founder of PayPal. He had this quote where he was saying, try to think about like your kind of 10-year life plan and then ask yourself the following question, which is, why can I do this in six months? And obviously the answer is not that you're going to find all the answers and do everything in six months, even though that's what I wish to the listeners. But I think it's a very interesting exercise because when you try to frame it that way, I think that's why I'm mentioning it in for this 24-hour challenge, because I think it can actually unlock many stuff that you thought were going to take a long time. But if you're really being very harsh on the deadline, you might realize that most of it are actually like a mental barriers that you place in your mind. And I think it's not something you do once and then you're, you solve all your problem. I think it's like a good thing to sometimes try to remind that and sit down and try to see if what you're doing is actually like the most efficient stuff. And it's actually going towards the direction that you want to take. But yeah. So that would be my advice. But I think a lot of people don't have a long-term plan. And I think that's really needed. You don't have to be sure of the direction you want to go, 
but it's not if you've written it on your journaling or whatever it's not it's something official that anyone's going to make you account for or like you can change the things that you want right but to have it written somewhere to have it at least at some point expressed it it really gives clarity to your mind and then to your actions so that would be like the 24-hour challenge because 24 is a bit it's a bit short <laughs> yeah thanks for sharing that and thanks so much Max, for joining thank you for the invite thanks for listening everybody make sure to check the show notes where you'll find direct links to the tools and resources mentioned in this episode and much more if you enjoyed this podcast make sure to subscribe to your favorite podcast station to not miss when we drop the next one we have lots of exciting guests and surprises for you coming up this is your host gabe marushka with the nomad solopreneur show until next week pura vida